when I say the word um, self-righteous, what pops into your head? When I say that word self-righteous, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Um, maybe for you, uh, when I say self-righteous, you think of a really strict, um, conservative Christian who dresses up and um, only listens to Christian music, only watches Christian media, never cusses, never drinks, never smokes, never hangs out with anybody that does any of those things. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of the word self-righteous. Maybe you think of the person you disagree with politically that has no room for a discussion, that has their beliefs set, and they are no wiggle room with it. They, they know what they believe, and you cannot tell them anything different. You cannot give them any other kind of argument. They have it all figured out. If you don't agree with their political opinion, you're just simply wrong. There's no debate on it, okay? Maybe when you hear the word self-righteous, you think of that person at work, that person at school who never works well with others because they know exactly how it should be done, they know exactly how that work should be done or that school work should be done. So there's no reason to discuss anything with them because they got figured out. Don't ask me anything because I know exactly how it should be done. When I think of the word self-righteous, there's a guy that comes to my head um, from the, one of the first churches I went to that um, when I was 18 years old, I really wanted a tattoo. And my parents said, no, you're not allowed to get a tattoo. And I said, but mom and dad, I'm 18. I can do whatever I want. And they said, that's right. You also don't pay rent. So you can get it, and then you got to find a place to live. So, okay. So I said, some reason I was able to convince them, like, mom and dad, if I can't get a tattoo, can I at least get a piercing? And they said, yes. And I think their thought behind it, and you can ask my mom, but my, I think the thought behind it was, you can just take that out, and it's gone. Tattoo is there forever, right? So I decided I was going to get a piercing, and so I got my eyebrow pierced, um, which is a mistake, simply because it looked horrific on me, okay? It was a big ring, but I thought I was really cool, and so I got my eyebrow pierced, and I would show up at church. I remember I showed up to church that week, and some guy who I, I knew pretty well came up to me and said, what did, what did you do? And I was like, well, I got my eyebrow pierced. He's like, okay. And then he started to um, tell me why I should not get my eyebrow pierced because, and here's the quote he said, Jesus already pierced his skin for you. Why do you have to get a piercing? And so I was like, doesn't your wife have her ears pierced? And the line he said was, yeah, but that's for fashion. Yours is for bondage. And I don't even know what that means, number one. <laughs> number two, when someone gives you that argument, you just go, okay, I guess I'm done with this conversation. So that's what I think of, like, when I think of the word self-righteous, that person is like, yeah, my wife, it's different when she gets it, but when you get it, you shouldn't do that. So self-righteous, when you think of the word self-righteous, what do you normally think of? I know what you most likely don't think of when you think of the word self-righteous. You most likely don't think of you. None of us are self-righteous. It's all the other people we're thinking about, right? It's not us. We aren't self-righteous. We're right. And you can't be self-righteous when you're right, okay? I know what I'm doing. When that other person posts that political post, they're self-righteous. They just want to scream their opinion to you. But when I do it, I'm just trying to let everyone know, and I'm educating people, and they, I've given them the point of view they don't know, okay, right? Um, when those people post those pictures and selfies of their vacation or their family or their stuff, it's because they want to make everyone else jealous. When I do it, it I just want to show everyone that we're having a good time, and I want to make sure everyone knows about how, what's going on with my family, right? When, when they do it, it's different, but when I do it, and some of you are thinking, well, I, that's not me, Eric, because I don't post anything because I understand how when you post things like that, that at times that you will come across self-righteous. So I don't post anything. It's like, first off, that's self-righteous that you think you're better because you don't post anything. So either way, you lose, right? A lot of times we are self-righteous. A lot of times we are. Um, there's a word that I, that I learned about this week when I was reading an article about 
um, self-righteousness, and the word is self-enhancement. Self-enhancement. It's called the self-enhancement effect, and here's what that is. The self-enhancement effect is a motivation that rates ourselves higher than others when it comes to positive things. What that means is most of us, when it comes to certain things that are positive, we rate ourselves higher than we actually are, and I tested it this week. Here's how I tested it, and I'm not going to ask you to do this because I don't want you to do it and then... um, and not work. So do it at home later. But you already know the trick. So I, I was at the Oreo game on Thursday, and I asked every couple individually, hey, when it comes to the percentage of work that you do at your house, chores, things like that, what percentage do you do out of 100? And they would give me that number. Sometimes it was 40%. Sometimes it was 90%. I was like, that, that sounds like you need to go to pre-oral counseling for that one. Okay. So they would tell me the number. And then I would take the, what the husband said, I would take what the wife said, and I would put that number together every time that percentage was over 100%, which is not possible. That means somebody at some point said, I'm 60% when you're really more like 40%. So when you go home, try it with your spouse, think of that number, and then ask your spouse what that number is independently and find out if that number is higher than 100%. Most of the time, it is higher. But now I, I told you so you're all going to go lower, so I skewed the, the data for sure. But... They also found when it comes to student group work in, in college or in high school, when it comes to student group work, when you add their percentages together, the people that do the student group work, the average is about 200%. Students think they are doing a lot more work. No one says 25%. I'm doing a quarter of the work. They are a lot higher, and it totals up to 200%. The majority of students think that they are above average in intelligence, which is not possible. The majority of students cannot be above average. Some have to be average. Some also have to be below average. But the majority of students think they are, they are above average. Here's another one. 90%, 90% of drivers think that they are above average in skill and safety. Not possible. 90% cannot be above the average. Some of us have to be average. And some of you that look at your phone way too much when you drive are definitely below average, okay? But 90% of people think they're above average. The majority of people, here's, here's a fun one, the majority of people think that they are less biased than others. It's not true. We're all biased in some fashion. And here's a quote from the article I read from Jay Kruger. He said, most of us appear to believe that we are more athletic, intelligent, organized, ethical, logical, interesting, fair-minded, and healthy, not to mention more attractive than the average person. This is called self en- self-enhancement. But where self-enhancement statistically goes off the charts is not with just your chores, not with just some of those things. Where self-enhancement goes off the charts is with your morals. Research has shown that when it comes to our moral characteristics, that means how good of a person you think you are, how good of a people we are, the self-enhancement effect just goes off the charts. We are more irrational when it comes to our moral traits. Here's another way to say it. We think we are far better morally than we actually are. All of us do it, self-enhancement. That's why most of us think we aren't self-righteous because most of us are. Most of us simply think, I'm not self-righteous, that's not me. But most of us actually are. And the worst part is we are too self-righteous to even admit it because we're like, ah, it's not me, that's those other people. When I asked you to think of someone, you didn't think of yourself, you thought of somebody else. But most of us think we aren't self-righteous because most of us actually are. Just a couple weeks ago, um, I had to play drums because Jake, um, who, by the way, uh, I do want to mention in case you didn't know this, Jake started playing drums like two years ago, and it actually annoys me how good he is at this point because 
It took me a lot longer to get to that level that he surpassed me way long time ago. Um, he started playing because we only had one drummer at the time. We're like, we need someone to play drums. Can you learn? He said, I guess. And now he plays every single week. He never wants to miss, which some of you can learn some of that. He hates missing a Sunday. He never wants to miss one. He's missed like three in the past year. He never misses. But one week he, he, was, he missed. Um, so I had to jump in and play drums. I played drums for a long time. I started in third grade, played for a while. I don't practice anymore. Um, and so when I went to play... I played the second song, um, I can't remember, uh, song called Heart Like Heaven that we played a bunch. And I was playing it, and I was like, this is a song I really know. I'm comfortable with it. I didn't listen to it at all during the week. Played it, and when it was done, I was like, yeah, I did a pretty good job. And then Bob, who was the bass player, looked at me and went, hey, your timing was everywhere. <laughs> he wasn't polite. And then I looked over at Frank, who was all the way over here, and he was going, yeah. <laughs> I thought, and my first initial reaction was, no, Bob, your timing was everywhere. Even though the drummer's the one who keeps time, I was like, no, I'm not. That's not me. But that's what we do. Most of us are self-righteous. Most of us think we aren't self-righteous because most of us actually are. Most of us don't want to hear that we are self-righteous. Most of us don't want to hear that we aren't as good as we think we are. But when I read Scripture and when I read what God talks about when it, and Jesus talks about when it comes to self-righteousness, there is no sin that God hates more than self-righteousness. You can't find a sin that he hates more in Scripture. And the thing that can rob us of our love, our true love, our love without an agenda, if you've been here, you've heard us talk about it, that we need to love our community and our people and the people around us without an agenda. When we love without agenda, that means love is the agenda. That's what we are called as followers of Jesus to do. We don't love somebody so that they one day hopefully meet Jesus. We love them because Jesus told us to love them. We cannot love that way when we are self-righteous. We just can't do it. We cannot do it because self-righteousness makes love revolve around us. And I believe that the worst mistake we can make is believing that we are good people. We don't need it. We are good people, and we can do it ourselves. In fact, if you were to leave here today and just go to any stranger at the grocery store or anywhere you go and ask them, hey, do you think you're a good person? Almost all of them are going to say, I think I'm a pretty good person. And then if you ask them, hey, I, I don't know if you believe in God or heaven, but let's say there is a heaven, there really is one. If there's a heaven, do you think you're going to get there? Almost all of them would say, yeah. And then you say, well, why? Why do you think you're going to get there? They're going to say, because I'm a good person. I, I try to live a good way. I try to be as good as possible. I, I, I'm good, so I, I'm going to go to heaven. In fact, um, I had a debate with a friend of mine who, who's an atheist, and he was explaining to me the one thing that he can't get around when it comes to Christianity. And he asked me, he said, hey, so let me ask you a question. If, if Hitler, on his deathbed, accepted Jesus Christ, would he go to heaven? And I had to say, yeah, I believe he would. He said, see, I can't believe in a faith that would allow someone to be that terrible or a serial killer or whatever characteristic you have, that at the end of his life he does all these terrible things and then he just asks Jesus and he goes to heaven. I can't believe in that faith. Why? He's not good enough. Where I am good enough. The, the Bible tells us that anyone who thinks we are good enough to get to heaven, anyone who thinks that we are good enough to earn heaven, will never actually get there. Because it's not about being good enough. And in fact, Jesus illustrated this in a parable in Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 18. Here, Jesus is telling a parable, which is a made-up story, okay? So this, is, this didn't really happen. He's just making the story up, and it really articulates the idea of self-righteousness. Luke chapter 18, we're going to read it straight through 9 through 14. 
says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I've got. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven and he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus tells this parable, and sometimes Jesus tells a story or a parable, and he doesn't tell you why. He just tells it to you, and then you got to figure it out. This is not one of those. Right up front, Jesus says exactly why he was doing it, and he said, listen, for those of you that are self-righteous, and you think you're better than everybody else, this story is for you. You hear this story. So he starts telling this story, and Jesus tells the story of this Pharisee. The Pharisee is a uh, religious leader of the time. Hey, we normally, we, if you read the gospel specifically, Jesus talks pretty harshly about Pharisees. So normally we tend to think of the Pharisees as like the bad guys of the story. They're always the bad guys. They're always the ones doing things wrong. But the Pharisees back then were the religious elite. The Pharisees did more spiritual disciplines than any of us in this room. So we let, tend to look down on them, but the Pharisees lived it out. The Pharisees would study and memorize Scripture all the time. If you ask them anything about the Torah, they had it memorized. They knew exactly what the Torah said. The Pharisees would pray three times a day, and some Pharisees would go to the temple three times a day. That's like you coming here three times a day every single day to pray. That's what they would do. Pharisees, they fasted twice a week. That means they, they gave up eating twice a week so that they could devote themselves to God. The Pharisees tithe a full 10%. They tithe consistently. We always look at the Pharisees as the enemies, but the Pharisees lived out their faith. Their faith was just misguided. But the Pharisee isn't alone. He's praying in the temple, and there's this tax collector in the back. And Jesus, being the expert storyteller that he was, um, he would purposely tell us about a tax collector. Because there's this Pharisee over here who everyone would consider to be the good guys in that culture would be the religious elite. And then there's the tax collector. Tax collector was the worst in that culture. Here's what a tax collector would do. They would go to the Jewish people that were living in Rome. Rome decided, hey, these people can live here. We're just going to tax them like crazy. They could stay here, but they got to give us some money. They would hire these other Jewish people to be tax collectors. They would go to their homes and say, hey, you owe Rome tax. Give me the tax. And the tax collectors, the way that they made their money is they could add any amount on top of that tax and pocket it. So if you owe 100 bucks, tax collectors come in and say, hey, you owe 200 bucks now. And there's nothing you can do. If you don't pay it, they're going to crucify They're going to take you out. They're gonna, you're going to go to jail. You're going to be murdered. You're gonna, they're going to do something with it. You have to pay it. Knowing that the tax collector is going to pocket 100 bucks and give Rome back their money. So everyone looked at the tax collector as the worst because they betrayed their own people for their own selfish gain. That's the tax collectors were. So Jesus says, there's this Pharisee here and there's a tax collector. The Pharisee's in the temple. He starts bragging about himself. He goes, man, God, thank you how awesome I am. I'm not like, I'm not like the poor. I'm not like the, and I'm not like that tax collector back there. Can you imagine if I prayed that way up here? I was like, dear God, thank you so much. I'm not like Frank. Imagine that'd be weird, right? That's what he's doing. Hey, see a tax back there? God, thank you. I'm not him. I'm just so thankful that I am so much better than that person is. He's, he's bragging. He's saying, look at all the stuff that I have. What, he, what is he doing? He is praying about himself. It's all about him. That's what he's doing. He isn't praying to go to God. He isn't praying to seek God. He is praying to lift himself up. 
the Pharisee is praying simply to hear himself talk. And he says, God, thank you that I am so awesome and spiritual and great. And man, it must be so easy to love me because of how great I am. The tax collector, his prayer is completely different. He stands at a distance. You know why he stands at a distance? He doesn't feel like he's worthy. He might not even be in the temple. You, you probably had friends you invited to church and, and they're like, I can't go. If I go, the building's gonna fall down. Like, I can't do that. That's what he's thinking. I can't go in there because I know how terrible I am. And then he even says that he won't even look up in heaven. What does that mean? He said, I don't wanna look up to heaven. I don't wanna look up there because I am so guilty of sin. I have to keep my head down in shame and in guilt. It says that he beat his breast. And think of it this way, like if you're like, do something wrong, you're like, oh man, what did I do? That's what he's doing. He is in such sorrow over what he has done in his life that he's beating his breast in grief. He is so frustrated and angry at his own sin, at his own life, at his own guilt. So he prays, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I know what I deserve. I deserve punishment. I am begging you not to punish me. I know that I can never make up for this, God. Can you make up for this? I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. The tax collector is humbly submitting to God's authority, is humbly approaching God and asking God for forgiveness. What the tax collector is doing is he's repenting to use a Christian word. He's repenting for what he has done wrong. Jesus says out of the two, the Pharisee who goes to church every week, who prays, who reads their Bible, the, the Pharisee who is, studies scripture and fast and tithe, and the tax collector who robs from his people every day, out of these two, this is the only one that's justified. Not him. He is justified. One thing I notice in this parable, there's no indication there's no indication that the tax collector stopped doing his tax collecting job. Jesus didn't tell us that. He might have. He might have repented, said, I'm so sorry, and then, and then stopped. Or he might have said, have mercy on me, and then went back and robbed some more people. And there's no indication of what this Pharisee did. He might have prayed with the wrong motives and gone back and studied Scripture. There's no indication of it because the point is it doesn't matter. One came with self-righteousness, so every act he did was self-righteous. The other came humbly, so even when his actions didn't line up, he was seen as righteous. The implications here is huge. Here's what it is. God isn't pleased with your good deeds when your good deeds are about you. He's not pleased with your good deeds when all you're doing for your good deeds is making it about you. Look how great and awesome I am. Um, we've been doing church now for three years. Thursday was our three-year um, three anniversary um, since we launched. And I was thinking about, and my wife and I actually went got lunch that day. We were thinking about all the people that have kind of helped at one point. Um, half our staff were, were here. The other half uh, have joined since. Um, a lot of you were not here when we first started. Some of you were. There was, we had a team of 45-ish people, and about half of them are still here, half are not, and we are forever grateful for those people. We've had so many different people come in and out of this church. We've had different people that have joined teams, and um, we, I'm very happy to say in this church, I don't know if it's just the mentality of this community or what it is, but um, there's a number in, in church world that 20% of people do 80% of the work. I don't know if that stat's even true. I don't know where that stat comes from, but that's the number that I've always heard. So I assume it's true. 20% of people do 80% of the work. That means only so many people serve and do everything. Where in this church, that's not true. 
majority of people, especially people that consider this their church home owners, majority of people do work. They, they serve. We don't call anyone here volunteers. We call on them team members because we don't volunteer. We are serving our Lord and Savior by what we do, by setting up chairs, by hanging out with the kids upstairs. So most of the people have the right attitude. But every once in a while, we'll have somebody that serves, that desperately wants and needs the credit. And there was a person in particular that, that I think of that would come in, they would set up all the chairs, and they would always find a way to let me know they did it. Like, hey, I, I just wanted to make sure these chairs are fine because I just set all these up. Are these good or are these not good? Um, hey, I set this table up. Is this how you wanted it? Because I, I, I just set it up the way I did it. And then we found out that if I did not give him enough credit or thank him enough, they would get mad. They wouldn't want to do it anymore. So after a while, he would start to get a little upset with me and let me know, like, hey, I, I, I wish I would be, I, I don't feel appreciated enough. Eventually, that person left. Let me ask you a question. Every time I saw that person that had that attitude, when he set up the chairs, did I, you think I thought, man, he just really loves this church. That's why he set up these chairs. No. Because I knew his heart behind it, I was like, he just wants credit. He just wants to check off that box. He just wants to do that. It's about credit. God isn't pleased with your good deeds when your good deeds are about you. Listen to me. Being a good person doesn't save you. Your church attendance doesn't save you. How many times you read the Bible, how many times you fast, how many times you pray, how much money you give away, none of that saves you. You are saved by one thing and one thing alone, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went on a cross to pay for everything that you and I have ever done wrong. That is it. He took our sin, all the things that we could not pay back, and he went on a cross and died for us. That is why we are forgiven. That is why we are saved. That we are called to humbly come before God, just like the tax collector did, and say, God, I know I don't deserve it. I know I can't be good enough to earn this, but God, I'm coming to you humbly as a sinner. Forgive me. I am yours. That is what we are called to do. When you approach God humbly and surrender to him, when we repent of our sins, that means that we take the things that we know are not lined up to what God wants us to do and say, God, I'm turning directions. I'm not going that way anymore. I want to go towards you. When we do that, repent of our sins, God forgives you completely. You are forgiven. And some of you need to hear this. You are forgiven completely for whatever it is you've done. Whatever it is you're struggling with now, you are forgiven completely, fully. It is over. You don't need to keep working for his forgiveness it is given to you freely. It is a price that you could never pay, so God paid it for you. You're forgiven. You know why I think God hates self-righteousness so much? It convinces yourself that you don't need his sacrifice, that you don't actually need his forgiveness. Why? Because I'm good. I'm a good person. And you know why we think we are good? We're comparing ourselves to the wrong people. See, we all become self-righteous when we compare ourselves to everyone but Jesus. If we compare ourselves to the right person, then you'll understand, but we all become self-righteous when we compare ourselves to everyone but Jesus. Let me give you a, a little illustration. Um, if I went to, is Lil John down here? Where's Lil John? He was here. Um, if, I, if someone asked me, hey, are you any good at golf? If Lil John asked me, hey, are you any good at golf? I would say, if you're asking me, yeah, because Lil John sucks at golf. You can tell him. He knows it. So if he asks me, like, yeah, golf, in comparison to you, I'm good at golf. 
But then if my dad, who's on a golf trip right now, who golfs once a week, who golfs every Father's Day without any of his sons, <laughs> every year, uh, my, go- my dad, who's really good at golf, he said, hey, you any, any good at golf? I'd be like, no, I'm terrible. And if Tiger Woods asked me, you any good at golf? Like, I can't even be on the same places you know I am terrible see we all become self-righteous when we compare ourselves to everyone but Jesus Matt sip the slide for me we all become self-righteous when we compare ourselves to everyone but Jesus you can always find someone that's worse than you you can always find someone that isn't as good as you you might say I know I get a little too angry but compared to my dad I'm not that angry so I know I can get angry but in comparison to him I'm pretty good I know I can get impatient and my friendships suffer because of how impatient I am sometimes, but I have some friends who's re- who are really impatient. So compared to them, I'm good to go. I-, I know I don't always put other people first, but I'm way more selfless than some of the other people in my life. Man, they, you should see how selfish they are. I'm at least a little more selfless than that. I, I know I have trouble forgiving people, and I-, I hold grudges way too much. I don't forgive people. I know I do that, but you should see my spouse. They really have trouble forgiving people. When you compare ourselves to some people, yeah, you can be good comparing to, to them. But what if we compare ourselves to Jesus? Yeah, you might be okay with your anger when you look at Jesus' example. Jesus, when, when he was tortured and crucified unfairly, he didn't show anger. I don't know about you, I would be pretty angry if they took me to a trial that, wasn't, that didn't even make sense and found me guilty of something I didn't do and then tortured me for it to the point that I was about to die until I had to carry my own cross and die, I'd be pretty angry. But we compare ourselves to Jesus, a lot of us have some work to do. Maybe you think you're patient, but if you look at Jesus' example, Jesus showed patience for his disciples despite their lack of faith. He showed patience for his disciples despite the fact that they would argue with each other, saying, hey, who, who's the best, God? Jesus, who, who's the best out of all of us? Who's going to sit in your right hand throne? He had patience for them even when they didn't deserve it. It might be patience, but if we compare ourselves to Jesus, we are not patient. We might think that we are selfless, but compared to Jesus... Jesus is at the Last Supper. It's the last meal he's going to have right before he is crucified. And he is about to go and be tortured and crucified. And every single disciple, every single one of his friends are about to abandon him. And he knows it. They go to that dinner. And you know what Jesus does? He starts the dinner by washing all of his disciples' feet. You might be better than me, but if I'm about to do my last dinner, I'm not washing your feet. You should be celebrating me. This is it. I'm about to die for all you. I'm going to wash your feet, but no, not Jesus. He says, no, I am going to wash the feet of all the people that are about to betray me right before I die. We might think we're selfless, but compared to Jesus, we are not. We might think we're good with forgiveness, but look at Jesus. Jesus had Peter, who denied him not once, not twice, not, but three times, said, I don't know that guy, and he still forgave him. Peter eventually becomes the first pope. He forgives all of us no matter what we've done. We might think we're good with forgiveness, but not compared to Jesus. Here's what Romans 3, 11 to 12 says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. When we compare ourselves to the right person, we see who we really are. We're sinners desperately in need for a Savior. And if you don't think you need, a, you need a Savior, you'll never find one. It starts with understanding our need, who we are, to be like that tax collector 
said, have mercy on me, I am not good. I am a sinner. So here's how I want to close today. I believe, and I've been praying all week about this, and I don't know who's going to be here today. I don't know if there'll be anybody here or it'll be just it'll be you guys here, but I truly believe that there are people that need to make a decision today. That there's some of you in this room who have been attempting to earn salvation by being good, have been attempting to earn it for far too long. And we've been acting self-righteous. And I believe there's some people in this room that came in thinking, I'm going to heaven because I'm good enough. And we are acting just like the Pharisee was. I'm good. I'm good enough. Where we need to instead be like the tax collector. Have mercy on me. Maybe you always thought it was about being good. Maybe you didn't realize that you were making it all about being good. But some of you right now need to make a decision. Maybe it's the first time you need to make this decision. Maybe you've made this decision before, but you need to enter, you need to make it again. But you need to make a decision. Today, I am turning from my old self of self-righteousness, of making it about me, of making it about me being good enough. I am turning away from that, and I am accepting the free gift that I have through Jesus' sacrifice. Some of you, I believe, need to make that decision today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Some of you in this room, you've made that decision. And you need to make a decision about going public with it, of letting the world know. And the best way to do that, the way we always encourage you, the way the Bible encourages us to do that is through baptism. In that closet right on the side, we have a baptism. We have a baptistry. That if anyone ever wants to get baptized, we don't do a service for it. We're just going to pull it out and baptize you that Sunday, any Sunday. And all we believe about baptism, it it is a way to tell the world about what God has done in your life. It is a public declaration of the inner grace that God has given you. It is the next step you have after salvation. Every example in scripture is after salvation. Some of you have made that decision along the way, but you never told the world by getting baptized. You need to make a decision to get baptized. That's your next step. So whatever that decision is, for whoever's in this room, and some of you know I'm talking about you. What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna ask everyone to close their eyes and pray. And I'm going to simply say, if you have a decision to make, whether it is changing your life and repenting to God, being like the tax collector, God have mercy on me and giving your life over to Jesus, whether that decision is to go public with it through baptism, all I want you to do is slip up a hand. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. Then I'm going to lead you in a prayer or we're going to sing a closing song together. So some of you have a decision to make. And, I, uh, and my prayer all week has been for you to enter into a new life We put our self-righteousness aside, our old self aside, and turn to his direction. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you right now humbly, in full surrender to you. God, we... We thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son for us so that we can live a new way of life, a life that's devoted to you, that we now don't have to be good enough. We can enter into a relationship with you because you are good enough. If today, 
as, as I was talking, if you know that right now you need to make a decision, whether it's for the first time or whether it's the decision that you need to make again, to stop trying to be good enough, to stop trying to be self-righteous, all I want to ask that you sli- simply slip up, lift up a hand. Say, that's me. Say, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, I surrender to you. I give my life to you. I know I am a sinner. I know that I need you. Forgive me. Today, I repent of my sins. I want to walk closer to you. Thank you for saving me. In your son's name, amen. If that's you, you made a decision, or maybe you made a decision that you know you need to get baptized, come talk to myself, talk to anybody on staff, talk to any of the host team people. I'm going to help you with that next, next step, whatever that is. If that's you and you've committed your life to Jesus for the first time, we want to help you because that is not the end of your journey. That's the beginning. We are here to help. So let somebody know or let somebody around you know the decision that you have made. So this time I want to sing a closing song. I want you to take this opportunity. If for some of you, you're still wrestling through some decision to make, this opportunity for you to do that. So I want to encourage you to stand and let's sing this song together.